afternoon I preach you the Word of God as it is summarized and confessed in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Days 28, 29, and 30. If you have that open as we hear the Gospel proclaimed, we'll make reference to the different questions and answers and read them uh, together. I'll, I'll read them uh, in, in the message and the preaching. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the sacrament of Holy Supper is given by God to the church for her comfort and encouragement. It was carefully designed by our Lord to include consuming bread and wine so that we can see that it is nourishment that is necessary for our lives. In answer to question 77, where has Christ promised that he will nourish and refresh believers with his body and blood as surely as they eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup? We confess in the institution of the Lord's Supper, the Lord Jesus in the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 26. This promise is repeated by Paul where he says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 16 to 17. There is one bread, so that we can see that there is only one Savior, Jesus Christ, and that it is our faith in Him that unites all the different kinds of people who want to worship him. The bread and wine are symbols of the body and blood of Christ, reminding us of his sacrifice. And eating these symbols assures us of how we share in all the work that Christ has done and that we are new creatures. The bread and wine also point to our fellowship and peace with God, that Christ has obtained and the celebration in heaven when we will, will toast his victory together with him. And since the Lord always commands us to do what is best for us, it is not surprising that Christ commands his church to celebrate the sacrament until he comes again in glory. If we truly love our Lord Jesus Christ because we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will also desire to receive his grace in our hearts and our lives in obedience to his command through the means of grace that he has established, he has ordained. Just as our Lord commands us to meet together in worship, he commands believers to celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's not because he needs it from us, nor because our brothers and sisters need us to participate beside them, to assure them of our support of their lifestyles, 
but because every confessing member needs this sacrament for their own spiritual well-being. This becomes clear when we see that our Lord Jesus commands us to celebrate the sacrament in remembrance of Him. I preach you this gospel under the theme, Christ commanded believers to celebrate the Lord's Supper in remembrance of Him. You'll see that it's a remembrance of a consequence and also remembrance as an act of faith. First then, it's remembrance of a consequence. To remember means to bring something that happened or was commanded in the past into your mind right now, in the present. When we talk about remembering things, we usually make a distinction between remembering facts, instructions, and events that are unconnected to us today, and remembering facts, events, and instructions that define who we are today. Okay, we'll continue. Uh, it's a good thing this sermon is one that's based with, with the confession. The catechism worked right into uh, much of what we're reading about. So in the introduction, we could see, uh, we heard together, we read together, where Christ promised that he will nourish and refresh believers. And the theme of the message is on Christ's words, where he commands us to celebrate the sacrament in remembrance of him. And there's different ways of remembering. Sometimes remembering is something that's completely in the past, remembering facts, instruction, and events that are unconnected to us today. And there's another kind of remembering where we, we remember facts, events, and instructions that define who we are today. We remember what happened in the past, how it affects us today. So some people have a very good memory. And they can remember that in the 1985-1986 regular season, Wayne Gretzky had 215 points with a whopping plus 71, which is actually plus 27 less than the plus 98 of the year before. And then there's others of us who remember details. We learned about social and economic conditions and the history of different nations and other places in the world. These are all things we are remembering. It has to do with our memory. And although these are very interesting and perhaps even somewhat formative memories, these kinds of memories aren't directly connected to us today. And those events have done little to define our character or status in God's kingdom. That's a different kind of remembering than we do when we celebrate Lord's Supper. When Jesus commands us to celebrate the sacrament in remembrance of him, he isn't just urging us to think about the events in the past as if the sacrament was some sort of memorial meal. The bread and wine aren't just props to help us reenact the day of Christ's crucifixion. If it was only a reenactment, we would want to invite as many people as possible to participate in the play and, and hopefully be convicted in their hearts to turn to Christ by the drama of the celebration. At the same time, the confession, our confession, is very clear 
that although the word remembrance indicates more than just a memorial meal, as if for a long dead friend, it also does not call us to try and repeat the, the work that Christ completed in the past, like the Mass teaches in its use of symbols of bread and wine and altars and priests. And you can see that in answer 80 in the second part of that question and answer on page 545. The Mass teaches first that the living and the dead do not have forgiveness of sins through the suffering of Christ unless he is still offered for them daily by the priests. And second, that Christ is bodily present in the form of bread and wine, and there is to be worshipped. Therefore, the Mass is basically nothing but a denial of the one sacrifice and suffering of Jesus Christ and an accursed idolatry. Remembrance of Christ does not mean repeating what he has already done on the cross. But it means receiving his finished work as a substitute for the punishment we deserve and then rejoicing in our new status as forgiven sinners who may live in peace with God even today. The Lord's Supper serves us in this worship and adoration of Jesus Christ by bringing our minds to an event that was completed in the past, but that caused our life, that caused our life to be the way it is today. The annual Father's and Mother's Day or wedding anniversaries are celebrated in remembrance of past events that define and shape who you are today. Remembering my parents is acknowledging that I was brought into the world, that I am still here today. Celebrating in remembrance of my wedding includes rejoicing in the fact that I am now a married person. The passage we read in Exodus 13 concerning the Feast of Unleavened Bread after the Passover explains that the feast would serve for many generations to come to bring understanding of the consequences of past events into the present time. While remembering what was done by God for them in the past, participating in the feast in their day was a way to express one's belief that they too had been saved by God's grace. And you can see that in the wording of Exodus 13, that I too was brought up out of Egypt. Feasting in remembrance of the Lord included also celebrating the way that God's saving work continued to define and shape them. Eating unleavened bread in remembrance of God connected the past to the present and expressed ongoing trust in the Lord who was worthy of praise. When our Lord Jesus commands us to think about his death and resurrection, he doesn't just want us to remember that with, with nostalgia, that past event, much less to try reenact it or repeat it, but he also calls us to remember who we are today as a result of Christ's work. This remembrance is as much a reminder of what he has made us 
as it is about when and how He changed our lives. In the Lord's Supper, it is the remembrance of the present reality that we may enjoy in Christ that has our focus. And question uh, uh, 75 puts the focus on how the Lord's Supper signifies and seals to you that you share in the present, in Christ, one sacrifice on the cross and in all his gifts. And the answer explains in this way, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup in remembrance of him. With this command, he gave these promises. First, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup given to me, so surely was his body offered for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. Second, as surely as I receive from the hand of the minister and taste with my mouth the bread and the cup of the Lord, as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely does he himself nourish and refresh my soul to eternal life with his crucified body and shed blood. Clearly, we confess that the Lord's Supper is a remembrance of the consequences of Christ's work for everyone who believes that it is true. And answer 80, now looking at the first part, makes similar statements. When in answer to the question about the difference between the Lord's Supper and the Papal Mass, we confess the Lord's Supper testifies to us first that we have complete forgiveness of all our sins through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ which he himself accomplished on the cross once for all. And second, that through the Holy Spirit we are grafted into Christ who with his true body is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father and this is where he wants to be worshipped. Lord's Supper is a remembrance of the consequences of Christ's work that his new creatures receive by faith, by participating in the eating of bread and the drinking of wine. We see that remembrance is also an act of faith. Our remembrance of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior in the past and the present and the future consists of actions that express our faith in an eternal reality that is only symbolized by the signs of consuming bread and wine at the supper meal. That's why we have that exhortation to, to lift up our hearts to heaven where Christ is seated at the right hand of his Father. We confess that our union with Christ is not physical union, that is gained by consuming the real body and blood of our Savior, whose body is in heaven. And so in answer to question 78, are then the bread and wine changed into the real body and blood of Christ? We confess, no. Just as the water of baptism is not changed into the blood of Christ, and is not the washing away of sins itself, but is simply God's sign and pledge, so also the bread in the Lord's Supper does not become the body of Christ itself, although it is called Christ's body in keeping with the nature and usage 
of sacraments. The Lord designed the sacraments to teach us and to assure us of a deeper reality that cannot be seen with our eyes. We have this explanation in 79, question and answer 79, in answer to the question, why then does Christ call the bread his body and the cup his blood, or the new covenant in his blood? And why does Paul speak of a participation in the body and blood of Christ? The answer is Christ speaks in this way for a good reason. He wants to teach us by his supper that as bread and wine sustain us in this temporal life, so his crucified body and shed blood are true food and drink for our souls to eternal life. But even more important, he wants to assure us by this visible sign and pledge, first, that through the working of the Holy Spirit, we share in his true body and blood as surely as we receive with our mouth these holy signs in remembrance of him. And second, that all his suffering and obedience are as certainly ours as if we personally had suffered and paid for our sins. Everyone who observes the sacrament can receive instruction from the declaration that a person can only be saved in Jesus Christ. Those who believe in him, however, can also remember the assuring reality that Christ Jesus has given his life for them. This is the for me part of our remembrance. And that makes us desire to celebrate the sacrament as often as we can. Our physical eating and drinking of the bread and wine connects Christ's finished work in the past right into our present situation. We can make statements about who we are now, even as we see and celebrate the sacrament. We eat because we believe and accept Christ's sacrifice as the substitute for our weak attempts to obey God's will. We can only remember Christ's work and its consequences for our lives if we believe. And the final questions and answers of this section of the Catechism deal with who may participate in the remembrance of Christ in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. In answer to the question, 81, page 546, who are to come to the table of the Lord? We confess those who are truly displeased with themselves because of their sins and yet trust that these are forgiven them and that their remaining weakness is covered by the suffering and death of Christ and who also desire more and more to strengthen their faith and amend their life. The people who eat and drink in remembrance of Christ, the consequences of his work, are the people who are hungering and thirsting for the righteousness that is promised to us in Christ. They are the ones who know their sins, who are grieved by how their sins offend God. They rejoice in the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
They are longing for the righteousness that Christ has obtained. If the remembrance of Christ and the benefits of his work for your life is a reason for great joy, then you ought to come to the table of the Lord where this grace is promised to you. The teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul, however, also highlights that the Lord's Supper is very dangerous for hypocrites and those who do not repent because they eat and drink judgment on themselves. When they sit down to eat and drink, unconverted people are not there in remembrance of Christ. And that's why we confess in question and answer 82 that those who by their confession in life show themselves to be unbelieving and ungodly must not be admitted to the Lord's Supper. For then the covenant of God would be profaned and his wrath kindled against the whole congregation. Therefore, according to the command of Christ and his apostles, the Christian church is duty-bound to exclude such person by the keys of the kingdom of heaven until they amend their lives. As we'll see in the coming weeks, the responsibility for supervising the table falls on the shoulders of the office bearers who work together with other members in their faithful mutual exhortations of one another. It always remains our prayer that God will grant office bearers the wisdom they need to do this work faithfully, and that the demands of the covenant will be honored by all God's people. At the same time, we as believers recognize that each of us has a responsibility to be honest about our faith in Jesus Christ. The questions of self-examination and the examples of disobedience that we should not be persisting in that we read together in the form this morning help us to identify sins that would prevent us from participating in the Lord's Supper if we are not actively fighting against them. Among those sins is the sin of despising the sanctity of the sacraments. There is a close connection between what we believe concerning Christ's work for our own souls and participating and accepting Christ's work on our behalf. When we participate in the sacrament of Lord's Supper, we show that we believe that we have union with Christ and that He is our food and drink to life eternal. It's a very personal expression of faith that is blessed with a very personal assurance of Christ's work on our behalf. In answer to question 76, what does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his shed blood? The answer we confess First, to accept with a believing heart all the suffering and the death of Christ and so receive forgiveness of sins and life eternal. Second, to be united more and more to his sacred body through the Holy Spirit who lives both in Christ and in us. Therefore, although Christ is in heaven and we are on earth, yet we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones and we forever live and are governed by one spirit as the members of our body are by one soul. When we have examined our hearts and our lives, 
and found there a sincere hatred for our sins and a complete trust in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and a true desire to love God and our neighbor as ourselves, then we will also be able to joyfully remember that we are new creatures today through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And as we come and take and and drink and eat and believe, we find that others are also turning to Christ in humble dependence on His grace. And by God's grace, we can see that the one true foundation of the church is Jesus Christ alone. Brothers and sisters, our Lord Jesus commands us to do this in remembrance of Him. Let us remember Him as the one who suffered and died for our sins so that we today might be the adopted children of God that we are today, carried through the challenges of this life by His Spirit until He comes again. Amen. We'll now sing together, standing if you're able to stand, Psalm 116, stanza 7.